Radio Game Changers, a podcast that explores the world of radio and audio communication. Here's your host, Craig Bruce. Hey, nice to talk to you again, and welcome to a brand new version of Game Changers. And well, it's brand new. The podcast is still primarily about radio, but I want to extend the brief from just the presentation side of the business to radio and audio as a category. So we're going to talk to programmers, producers, thought leaders, ex-radio people now out of the bubble, international radio experts, marketing and branding experts, creative thought leaders. We'll have Q&A sessions with you. And of course, we'll talk to the presenters who are at the coalface every day. So it's a, a 360 degree look at the audio category and hopefully with a bunch of insights you can then use in your career. Now, the plan is I'm hoping to publish at least a couple of new episodes a week. They're going to be snack sized episodes, 10 to 15 minutes in length, as well as weekly highlights from the library of content that we have already created about 60 odd Game Changer interviews so far. So welcome to Game Changers 2.0. If you haven't already, you can subscribe now to the podcast. We're at RadioGameChangers.com. We have a Facebook page. There's going to be a whole bunch of information coming out soon about the Game Changers ebook, which we should have ready to go in the next eight to ten weeks. And I am at Twitter, at CB underscore Bruce. Any feedback or trolling, go your hardest. All right, let's get into it. My first guest on this new format is my production partner on the podcast and the head of Bad Producer Productions, Jay Mueller. Hey, Jay. Hey, Craig. How are you? I am doing great. And you know that you sent me an email right around February 25th, 2016, and you said, hey, I've got an idea for a podcast. We started talking about Game Changers, and you had it all mapped out. And since then, I think it's about 65, 66 episodes, so about 50 hours of content. 300,000 downloads, and it's just been fantastic to be part of it. Yeah, it's one of those things, and, and look, I don't want to talk it up too much, but it's it's actually, I reckon, one of the only times in my career where the idea in my head has been executed exactly the way I was hoping it would. It's It's been a great experience. It really has. So just before we get into it, couple, we've got a couple of um, a ripping people who are helping us out. My um, good friend, Kate Mead, and uh, you know Kate now too, Jay, who's uh, hosting a regional breakfast show on Ace Radio. She's going to be supporting us, and Clint Bryce will cover audio production. Clint is with with uh, SEA at Adelaide. So we met 10 years ago, and you'd just been hired as the EP of Eddie's new breakfast show on Triple M, The Hot Breakfast. Do you remember the the first pitch from Eddie? I mean, how did he convince you to leave a number one radio station for a, a struggling three-share? Because you were at 3 at yeah. at the time. I, I do remember. I remember Eddie, in vintage Eddie fashion, called me at work uh, during the show because he knew that's where I would be. He knew I would, you know, obviously I'm going to answer the phone during the show and <laughs> yeah. Eddie McGuire calls and, you know, we had developed a relationship over my three years with Ross and John and before that with, with Neil Mitchell at 3AW and gotten to know him a little bit. And he goes, I've got an idea. Would you come talk to me about it? And so I went to him and we sat down and he said, this is what I want to do. And he laid it out. And the idea was to bring a, a new style of breakfast show to Triple M. And I thought, wow, that's, uh, that's exciting. It's a, it's a big challenge. But that is, you don't often get those opportunities to go into something and create something from scratch. So, you know, Neil had been doing his radio show for decades. Ross and John had been, you know, a dominant force in breakfast for more than 10 years when I got there. And so it's usually... I find you get invited on things that already exist. They're already up and running and you get brought in to do a particular job on that show or on that particular project. And this was a chance to go in and go, what do we want it to be? How do we want it to look? How do we want it to feel? How do we want it to sound? And that was just so incredibly enticing that I thought, 
I, when would I ever get another opportunity like that? So I, I jumped at it and I was incredibly nervous talking to three AW to tell them that I was going to go, uh, and that this is what I was going to do. And of course, because with Eddie, there were rumors that he was going to go to, to triple M and all of those sorts of things. And you know, that he was going to come back into radio. And, uh, then, you know, when I gave my notice, it was all sort of confirmed and went in. And at the time, I think the plan was to start the show sort of in October, we were going to take a little while. So this was at about August. Yep. And then the, uh, the magpies were flying Collingwood magpies in the AFL at his team. They were having a fantastic year in 2009. Things were going great. And then he said, you know what? Um, we should just go on air during the finals. And so I think we had about two and a half, three weeks of prep time, and then we were on air. So it was, it was, uh, it was an incredible time to be part of that. Uh, and uh, and it just, uh, you know, we made a lot of mistakes, and we didn't get everything right in those early sort of shows. And, but you know, the the real nut of what that show was going to be, and the, and the you know, its its true sort of essence was was there from the very beginning. And Ed had a real clear idea of what he wanted to what it to be and what he wanted it to be in the market and stand for in the in melbourne and and on radio and um you know it we got there and, and it was just so exciting and just such a, a privilege to be a part of that yeah a couple of lessons i mean great shows don't always start the way they end and and it did take us a couple of years and um i guess it was the introduction of mick to complete the casting uh and he was such an important piece to the puzzle what what happened to the show when he came on board how did it change it just was a, a different layer and and it was one of those so mick filled in for luke luke was doing the commonwealth games in india for channel 10 and Mick filled in for him. And I had never worked with Mick at that point. And, and I remember Mick coming in being very, very funny and very, very um, interested in, and, you know, really sort of asking a lot of questions about what was going on. And then I remember we did a story, I think it was about Afghanistan and Mick told a story about some of his work with the troops and different things. And it was one of those moments where you should just go, there's something there that that is a space that he would be great in if Mick wanted to do it. Yeah. And he did those two weeks. And then I think the question was that, um, you know, does Mick want to come back and do breakfast radio? Is that something that he would want to do? And, you know, Fitzy um, from triple M and, and you were probably involved in those conversations as well, started talking to Mick. And then the answer was yes. Um, if he could do it on, in a way that suited him and that uh, played to his strengths, which of course was the, the Mick Malloy deal starting a breakfast show at 7 a.m. <laughs> and coming in for the final two hours, which yeah. is now, you know, that's that's been a good thing because it worked for Mick and it's now worked for other people in the industry who are starting their breakfast shifts at 7 o'clock. Yeah, Sam Pang has uh, Mick Malloy to thank for a lot of things, I reckon. When the when the alarm goes off at 6 a.m. at Sam Pang's house, he needs to be thanking the Lord for Mick Malloy. <laughs> Uh, very, very smart. On Mick. You know, the, the thing is, is that people would always think that, well, then Mick just, you know, he must just turn up at seven and he, yeah. he comes in. And, um, you know, Mick was always there by 630 at the latest. And he was always prepped and always ready to go. And, you know, it was just something that allowed him to, to come in with, you know, all of his um, energy and, and everything that he brought into that show. And, and you know, when you ask you know, what did it do? It just brought in a third really strong personality into that show. You had, you know, you had Eddie, 
He had Luke both um, professional and accomplished and really had a strong sense of who they are. And then you have Mick there coming from a different angle to both of them. And the dynamic changed and it changed for the better. And it became a, a stronger show because it had these three unique personalities that were there. And, you know, and, and it, it, we'd gone through a couple of iterations, you know, with Mick and, and Mika Buckham was there for a little while and Tony Moclair before Mick got on the show. And, you know, it sort of went through a, a few iterations before um, we landed on what got us to the, you know, the number one spot and, and into our sort of comfort area and, and how that was. And, and I'm just so grateful that we got the, the patience and the time for, from SCA and from triple M because, you know, we went through different, we went through a lot of changes and we went through a lot of, you know, finding out who we are and what we're going to be on a daily basis. Um, and it was, I think, four years in when we, you know, really started to have some success. Yep. Yeah, these things don't happen overnight, do they? I mean, the other feature no. of, of Eddie's show that, that I'll always remember was its level of, of localism. Uh, you know, yep. most, most shows make, a, I reckon, a token effort around reflecting their cities. But, I mean, this show was the pulse of Melbourne. And, and you know, I would say to people it was a show that had a use-by date of 9.05 that morning. So, you know, the content was, you know, it was a snapshot of a day in the life of a city. Um, and and they, just, they, they just lived and breathed it, didn't they? they it was an incredible... Yeah. Uh, approach yeah and and we always wanted it to be that we wanted it to be something that was if you listen to it from 6 to 9 a.m you you got exactly what was going on between those hours in melbourne and that's that's all we were focused on that's it and then it's all the show is still focused on you know that is what is still driving that show as eddie said from day one melbourne 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 and it you know it was just so exciting to be able to go you know, we don't know what's going to be in the show tomorrow because we don't know what's going to be happening yeah. at yeah. seven o'clock the yeah. next day. Yep. Um, and so we were always willing to, you know, jettison whatever we had planned, if, you know, and go with what we felt was really, really of the moment. And, you know, we wanted the show that if you tried to pick it up and put it someplace else, it wouldn't make any sense. So tell me, um, you've had 10 years working side by side with Eddie, and I know this is a difficult question because I'm going to ask you to give me that, give me one thing that you've learned from him working so closely with him over the last decade. Wow. Um, think big. Yeah. Eddie is, you know, he, he, there's no half measures. And he will often say to me, you got to think, let's think bigger on this. Mm. Um, and, and that's a lesson that, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of different times from other people as well, but I know with Eddie, Eddie always thinks about, well, what can we do that is going to really be a big deal? Mm -hmm. And whether that's a big comedy piece or whether that's a big interview or whether it's a big tactic for the show or it's something, but he always wants it to be, how is it going to be uniquely us? Yep. And to do that is to, to think big. And, and so that, that's one. The other thing that I love, and, and I've heard, you know, Eddie has said it to me on numerous occasions, and I've, I've heard him say it to other people, but, you know, it is about being across all of the things that are going on and then connecting the dots. Yep. He said, he said, you know, we can all see the dots. Very few people can connect them. And that is uh, a huge lesson that I, that I learned from Eddie is that, you know, how do you connect the dots? And when once you start connecting those dots, then you start really telling some stories of significance. So, um, you know, those are 
two of the, the big things, and I know you only asked for one, but the other one is that, you know, Eddie, good luck trying to pigeonhole Eddie, right? I mean, if you want to, if you want to pigeonhole him as the, the president of a, a sporting organization, you'll do it at your peril because he's very broad and has a lot of interest and is able to navigate through all those different worlds, the worlds of entertainment, the worlds of performance, the worlds of comedy, the worlds of business and politics and all of those things. And I think the thing is that he really believes that if you, you can bring the audience along with you into all these different areas, you don't have to be just one thing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be just that one narrowly defined personality you can be more than that and you should be more than that hey jay well done on uh, the hot breakfast well done on the podcast thanks for all your help over the last uh, couple of years it's been fantastic fun hopefully we can make this uh, new version even better and uh, we are back tomorrow with the five million dollar question are cash contests worth the money we're going to talk to wade kingsley thanks jay thanks craig good on you mate talk to you soon radio game changers a bad producer productions podcast edited by clint bryce Research and production support from Kate Mead. Subscribe now at RadioGameChangers.com. Like us on Facebook. And follow Craig on Twitter at CB underscore Bruce.